Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this topic matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care. I'm your host, Dr. Casey Grover. So a brief follow-up from episode two on buprenorphine basics. I'm taking a course right now from the American Society of Addiction Medicine, also known as ASAM, and we're covering the topic of patients with opiate use disorder who have pain. So it turns out that ASAM actually recommends that in patients with pain who are on buprenorphine, that you continue the buprenorphine. They basically give you two options of what you can do. Number one is you just add opioids on top of the buprenorphine. And you probably have to go higher doses given how buprenorphine works in the body. And actually fentanyl may be the most useful given how potent it is. The other option is that you can increase the frequency of buprenorphine to help treat pain and I'll explain how. Turns out that if you're managing withdrawal, buprenorphine lasts 24 hours or even longer, but the analgesic effect only lasts about six to eight hours. So you can increase the frequency of buprenorphine at lower doses to provide pain relief. So let me give you an example. If a patient is maintained on buprenorphine 16 milligrams a day, you could increase the frequency to QID but drop the dose to four milligrams for a total of 16 milligrams a day. But because it's dosed QID, the patient's gonna get more pain relief. And this is totally new and developing. So absolutely discuss with your colleagues before you start doing this, particularly the anesthesia folks if your patient's headed to surgery. The next thing that I wanted to discuss is that I set this podcast up to be monthly. And I think probably I'll ultimately get to monthly episodes. But right now, there are so many great topics that I want to cover, and I want to get lots of episodes out early on so that when folks subscribe, they have a good library of episodes to listen to. So kind of a flurry of episodes this month and in the near future, and I'm really excited to be doing this. On to today's episode, which is on cannabis withdrawal. So why are we covering this? Well, I worked a shift last week and I saw a patient who reported cannabis withdrawal and I realized I didn't know anything about it. I want to keep this podcast evidence-based, so we're going to look at two papers today. The first is by an author, Anise Baji, from JAMA Network Open in 2020 titled Prevalence of Cannabis Withdrawal Symptoms Among People with Regular or Dependent Use of Cannabinoids. And they're really asking the question, how common is cannabis withdrawal? The second paper is by Ophir Livne et al., and that's in Drug and Alcohol Dependence in 2019, and the title is DSM-5 Cannabis Withdrawal Syndrome, Demographic and Clinical Correlates in U.S. Adults. And their question is really, how common is each symptom of cannabis withdrawal and who gets it? So, jumping right into the first from JAMA Network Open 2020. The authors start with some background. Cannabis withdrawal syndrome is now recognized as a specific withdrawal syndrome similar to other substance withdrawal syndromes. The basic definition, symptoms of cannabis withdrawal occur reliably following a specific time course with cessation of cannabis use, are transient, 
are improved by the re-administration of cannabis and are clinically significant. And cannabis withdrawal syndrome now actually exists as a DSM-5 diagnosis. The definition is three or more of the following symptoms within seven days of reduced or stopped cannabis use. The first is irritability, anger, or aggression. Next, nervousness or anxiety. Next, sleep disturbance. Next, appetite or weight disturbance. Next, restlessness. Next, depressed mood. And finally, somatic symptoms, which they include as headaches, sweating, nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain. And previous studies have suggested the prevalence of cannabis withdrawal syndrome anywhere from 11% to 94% of people with regular cannabis use. So the author said, let's do a meta-analysis to figure out actually what's going on with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. So they screened over 3,800 papers and they ultimately found 47 papers that met their pre-specified criteria. And these 47 papers reported on 50 cohorts of patients. To do this meta-analysis, they included articles that reported on, one, individuals with regular use of cannabis or cannabinoids or cannabis use disorder. Articles, number two, that reported on cannabis withdrawal syndrome or cannabis withdrawal syndrome symptoms using some sort of instrument. Number three, reported the prevalence of cannabis withdrawal syndrome. And number four, used an observational study design and just because the authors apparently spoke English, they only included articles in English. In these 47 papers, there were ultimately 23,518 participants that they had in their study cohorts. The median age was 30, 72% were white, 61% were men, 76% were from North America, 14% were from Australia, 14% of patients were in an inpatient setting, 56% of patients were in an outpatient setting, and 30% were just kind of some sort of population-based study or analysis. 50% were seeking treatment for their cannabis use, and unfortunately, some of the data was incomplete. And the authors asked the question, what methods were used to identify cannabis withdrawal syndrome? Some of the studies used instruments like the Cannabis Withdrawal Scale or the Marijuana Withdrawal Symptom Checklist. Turns out neither one of these are really widely used. Also, some of the studies used a semi-structured clinical interview. What did the authors find? Well, it turns out that the overall prevalence of cannabis use disorder in patients with regular or dependent use of cannabinoids in the studied population was 35%. Breaking it down, the general population studies, the prevalence of cannabis use disorder went from 8 to 34%. For the outpatient clinic population, and it doesn't specify what type of clinic, the prevalence of cannabis use disorder was from 30 to 74%. And in the inpatient population, the prevalence of cannabis use disorder was 72 to 98%. So general population, not as common, outpatient, somewhat common very common in the inpatient population. And again, that's cannabis use disorder. The authors next said, what's the overall prevalence of cannabis withdrawal syndrome 
in patients with regular or dependent use of cannabinoids in the study population, and that was 47%. For the general population, it was about 17%. For the outpatient population, and again, it doesn't specify what type of outpatient clinic, it was 54%. And for the inpatient population, it was 87%. So same thing, we see increasing frequency of both cannabis use disorder and cannabis withdrawal syndrome going from a general population study to a clinic-based outpatient population study to an inpatient population study. And that makes sense. Interestingly, when the authors looked, there was no association of prevalence of cannabis withdrawal syndrome with any of the following. Age, gender, race, ethnicity, comorbid alcohol use, comorbid psychiatric disorder, or geographic region. On the flip side, things that were predictive of cannabis withdrawal syndrome were daily cannabis use, a diagnosis of cannabis use disorder, comorbid tobacco use, comorbid drug defined as non-alcohol use, and higher amounts of cannabis use. The authors then go on to a discussion where they say, overall, it's important to note that nearly half of people with regular or dependent cannabinoid use will experience cannabis withdrawal syndrome. They also highlight that anxiety is a symptom of cannabis withdrawal. So patients who use cannabis for anxiety are unfortunately setting themselves up for frequent or worsening anxiety when they stop their cannabis. There is also some evidence that cannabis withdrawal syndrome and cannabis use disorder are moderately heritable, implicating that both genetic and environmental factors are at play. There is also no current best practice or validated tool to screen for cannabis withdrawal syndrome. So more research is needed and is currently being done. Sounds like the DSM-5 criteria for cannabis withdrawal syndrome is the best that we have. And lastly, it's all the more challenging because we don't yet have any treatments for cannabis use disorder that are efficacious the way we do for opiate use disorder. So I thought that was a pretty useful paper. So we'll go on to the second one, which was in drug and alcohol dependence in 2019. For this paper, the authors give a pretty similar background. They basically point out that abrupt reduction or termination of long-term frequent cannabis use is associated with a withdrawal syndrome, including behavioral, emotional, and physical symptoms. And this actually is a major contributor to ongoing cannabis use and can be very disruptive. The authors also point out and this is a review in this podcast, the DSM-5 definition of cannabis withdrawal syndrome. Cannabis withdrawal syndrome is diagnosed when, within a week after cessation of heavy prolonged cannabis use, patients develop three or more out of a total of seven symptoms of withdrawal. And those are the symptoms we mentioned earlier. Irritability, nervousness, anxiety, sleep disturbance, appetite or weight disturbance, restlessness, depressed mood, or somatic symptoms. Now, this paper involved using data from the 2012-2013 National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions 3, and they felt this was a nationally representative study which actually measured and looked at the DSM-5 diagnosis of cannabis withdrawal syndrome. So, they asked really two questions. Number one, what is the 12-month prevalence of cannabis withdrawal syndrome, and what is the breakdown of who gets what symptom and what sociodemographic and clinical characteristics are associated with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. The study design, this again was the National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions 3. It involves 
civilians over age 18. It was face-to-face -face interviews in 36,309 participants, and it involved 1,527 participants who used cannabis three or more times per week for at least 12 months. It was a standardized, structured interview and assessed for the DSM-5 criteria of cannabis withdrawal syndrome. Again, they looked at these symptoms, nervousness, anxiety, irritability, aggression, insomnia, depressed mood, decreased appetite or weight loss, restlessness, and physical symptoms like abdominal pain, tremors, sweating, chills, and headache. They looked at socio-demographic variables. They assessed for comorbid psych and substance use disorders. They assessed quantity, intensity, and frequency of cannabis use. And they also assessed family history of psychiatric problems. What were their results? They looked at the prevalence of cannabis withdrawal syndrome in frequent cannabis users. And that was defined as three or more times per week. And that was 12%. Interestingly, this is actually less than in the previous study. And again, this, this is a prevalence of cannabis withdrawal syndrome of frequent cannabis users of 12%. And it may in part relate to the fact that the previous study looked at patients with regular or dependent use of cannabinoids, and this one only looks at three times per week. Now, looking at the symptoms, the most common symptoms of a cannabis withdrawal syndrome were nervousness, irritability, aggression, and sleep problems, followed by depressed mood and restlessness, and the physical symptoms were variable. Let's actually break down the physical symptoms point by point as to how common they are. So let's start with nervousness and anxiety. This was present in 13% of frequent cannabis users, again, that's three or more times per week, and 76% of cannabis withdrawal patients. Irritability and anger, 14% of frequent cannabis users, and 72% of people who had cannabis withdrawal syndrome. Sleep difficulty, 14% of frequent cannabis users, 68% of people with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. Depressed mood, 11% of frequent cannabis users, 59% of patients with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. Restlessness, 7% of frequent cannabis users, 43% of people with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. Depressed appetite and weight loss, 4.5% of regular cannabis users, 27% of patients with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. So looking at these symptoms, they're moderately common in people who just used regularly and extremely common in people with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. On to the physical symptoms. Headache was seen in 12% of frequent cannabis users and 48% of people with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. Shakiness or tremors, 4% of frequent users experienced this. 25% of people with cannabis withdrawal syndrome experienced this. Sweating was seen in 3.6% of frequent users and 22% with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. And abdominal pain, which kind of makes me think in the back of my mind of cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Abdominal pain was seen in 2.5% of frequent cannabis users and 12% of people with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. Chills were seen in 1.6% of frequent cannabis users and in 6.7% of people with cannabis withdrawal syndrome. Looking at the demographics, they asked the question, who uses cannabis the most? Frequent cannabis users, again, that's three or more times per week, were 66% male, 59% white, 50% between the ages of 18 and 29, 49% college educated, 54% never married, and 45% came from a household with a low income.
Interestingly, looking at the frequency of cannabis withdrawal, Asians and Pacific Islanders had a higher incidence of cannabis withdrawal syndrome as compared to whites with an adjusted odds ratio of 4.2. Black individuals had a higher incidence of cannabis withdrawal syndrome as compared to whites, although the odds ratio wasn't too high. Cannabis withdrawal syndrome was more common in users aged 18 to 29 than in users 45 to 64, and there was an increased incidence of cannabis withdrawal syndrome in patients with a comorbid mental health disorder. The authors next look at cannabis use disorder. So in this particular study of frequent cannabis users, again, that's three or more times per week, the prevalence of cannabis use disorder was 47%, and interestingly, that's higher than in the previous study. They found that the odds of cannabis withdrawal syndrome were much higher when cannabis use disorder is present, with an adjusted odds ratio of 22. The other thing they found is that the amount of cannabis use was actually highly associated with the risk of cannabis withdrawal syndrome. With six or more joints per day, it was an adjusted odds ratio of 3.5 for developing cannabis withdrawal syndrome. And they basically point out that the frequency of cannabis use, as in the number of days per week, is actually less associated with cannabis withdrawal syndrome than the intensity of use, meaning how much is used when a person is using. So just to kind of make sure that that point is clear, the more a person uses at any given time is more correlated with the risk of cannabis withdrawal syndrome than the number of days per week that a person consumes cannabis. And lastly, they found that cannabis withdrawal syndrome was associated with a family history of depression with an odds ratio of 2.5. The authors go on to make some discussion points, and they point out that nervousness and irritability or aggression are the most common symptoms of cannabis withdrawal syndrome. When they actually broke down the mental health disorders, there were the highest odds of cannabis withdrawal syndrome with comorbid depression, anxiety, and antisocial personality disorder compared to other mental health conditions. One limitation that they point out is that they did not control for the THC content. Very interestingly, the offers offer a take-home point that I thought was really poignant, and I'm going to quote, quote, Since there is considerable overlap between symptoms of cannabis withdrawal, depression, and anxiety, clinicians should consider screening depressed and anxious patients for regular cannabis use. Given the increase in public beliefs that cannabis is an effective treatment for depression, Although evidence currently suggests otherwise, clinicians should ensure that these patients' efforts to self-medicate with cannabis are not unintentionally perpetuating cannabis withdrawal. And the last point is just that this study, the survey was done in the United States. Homestretch here, let's summarize. So we reviewed two papers on cannabis withdrawal syndrome. First take-home point, what's the definition of cannabis withdrawal syndrome? It is three or more of the following within seven days of reduced cannabis use. One, irritability, anger, or aggression. Two, nervousness or anxiety. Three, sleep disturbance. Four, appetite or weight disturbance. Five, restlessness. Six, depressed mood. And seven, somatic symptoms including headaches, sweating, nausea, vomiting, or abdominal pain. Take home point number two. Cannabis use disorder is common in regular users with estimates anywhere from 35 to 47% prevalence. Take-home point number three, cannabis withdrawal syndrome is also common in regular users with estimates of anywhere from 12 to 47% in 
It is more common in people with daily cannabis use, a diagnosis of cannabis use disorder, and higher amounts of cannabis used. Take-home point number four, what are the symptoms of cannabis withdrawal syndrome? Number one, and the most common, nervousness and anxiety. Number two, and the second most common, irritability and anger. Number three, poor sleep. Number four, depressed mood. And the most common physical symptoms from cannabis withdrawal syndrome are headache, shakiness, and sweating. Take-home point number five, there is a major concern in both papers that people who are self-medicating their anxiety and depression with cannabis are making it worse with a cycle of medicating with cannabis to treat anxiety and depression, then feeling more anxiety and depression due to cannabis withdrawal syndrome, leading to increased use, withdrawal, increased use, more symptoms, withdrawal, a vicious cycle that unfortunately over time will make symptoms of anxiety and depression worse. So screen for cannabis use and withdrawal in your patients with anxiety and depression. One last point before we go, you can probably hear by now that I've been having some issues with my audio on this episode. And I'm still new to podcasting. And don't forget, I'm a practicing physician. This is just something I'm doing as I'm learning that I think is useful to share. I think I finally got some of these issues figured out, and I look forward to higher quality audio on my upcoming episodes. That's a wrap, everyone. Thank you so much. I hope you found this helpful. Wishing everyone a great day. Thanks so much.